our study in, the, in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So we're in Colossians chapter 4, we're covering verses 2 through 18. And the title of this morning's message is Praying, Living, and Companions Worth Mentioning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this letter, Lord, I pray that we would not tune out. Lord, so often we come to the conclusion of a sermon, we come to the conclusion of a letter, of a conversation, and we're already on to the next thing. Father, I pray that that would not be the case this morning, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give us attention uh, help us to fix our eyes on you, as has already been prayed, that we wouldn't be distracted by anything other than being held captive by your word. And so, Father, uh, it's with that that we ask that you would give us understanding of how important it is to be a church that prays, first and foremost. Uh, this ought to be a house of prayer for all to come in. And know that not only are you here, but you desire that we seek you and worship you. May we as a people understand how to live for your glory and come alongside each other. That we would be consistent in our walk with you, encouraging to others, and also be companions worth mentioning. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha uh, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. 
Remember my chains, grace be with you. So much to cover in this last portion of this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. And these final words of the Apostle Paul are simple and yet deep. They're profound words that we ought to, again, not just gloss over, not just, okay, these are some final people that he's mentioning, some last kind of words to cover his letter. Uh, no, they're, they're words that we ought to pay close attention to because they too will minister to you if you allow them to in such a way that you will be better off for understanding them and applying them to your lives. They're powerful because if the church would give itself to doing this consistently, then we would be a church that is given to prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. We would be a church that loves to worship because we're filled with thanksgiving, acknowledging God's work in our lives, in our desire, and petition to God would be that we would preach the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ with clarity so that everyone may understand that forgiveness of sins has been extended to all by God's grace through Christ Jesus. All of that is covered in these few verses that we just read. Paul's closing words in his letter to the Colossians were words of encouragement to give themselves to seeking God in prayer, asking that the Lord would give opportunity to tell others about salvation and to live their lives in a manner that demonstrates a desire for the things of God. Their very lives to be a demonstration of that, an example, perhaps a living encouragement to others to do this very thing. To live lives in a manner that demonstrates a desire for the things of God. And then Paul mentions some of his companions. As we read, read their names and a few details of, about some of them. Some companions who are actively serving alongside the Apostle Paul. And he believes are worth mentioning. Worth mentioning. Now we read them. You know, all these years later we're still reading about these fellow companions and servants, warriors that were alongside the Apostle Paul. May they serve us as they served Paul in that day. To come alongside in, in a manner of speaking, come, come alongside us and offer us some encouragement in our walk with the Lord. But the first word of encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to the believers in Colossae is to be strong in prayer. Verse 2, again, he's, he writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So the church that is strong in prayer is a church that is believing and trusting in the Lord. As together we would seek the God who can do the impossible. We were just talking about it uh, the other day about how I believe the church is somewhat anemic in that area. And we kind of believe that He can, but we don't demonstrate it by the way we pray. We may say it, but we don't reflect it by the way we live our lives. Sometimes we think, 
a step of faith is one in which, um, I don't know, I can name so much. And we think, aren't we great because we've taken a step of faith in the Lord when everything is safe? There's a safe safety net underneath us, and we're like, that's not a step of faith. I think of um, Jim and June Hesterly and how it is that uh, they have lived lives that truly express and exemplify living lives of faith. And how it is that the church, if we truly are a church that, that trusts and relies on the Lord, then our prayer life will reflect that. Is what, how we pray a reflection of that trust and faith in the Lord. Because if our prayer as a church exemplifies that kind of faith, I can promise you that this church will be strong. It will be immovable. It will accomplish things that are impossible in the flesh, but are, are possible with the Lord, because all things are possible with Him. We ought to be a church that demonstrates a thankfulness toward the Lord and demonstrated by the way we walk and talk. This is a church that is confident in the Lord. This church is would be a church that is busy thanking God for what He's done and doing and for what He's going to do because we, be, we believe all things, right? He do all. We look back and we thank Him for what He's done. We thank Him for what He's doing today in our midst and in our lives personally and also corporately. And we thank Him before they even get to us, those things that are before us in Him. The church that is a praying church will be focused on glorifying the Lord and serving Him by proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because we truly believe the gospel. As, as we ourselves are in our lives, we've been impacted in such a way that we know salvation. We know we've been forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. We have the hope of heaven. Believing that we're praying, we're also praying for other people that they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the church would be strong if they continued steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Are we that church? This is exactly what, this is what his closing words were to the church in Colossae. Paul was telling them to see prayer as a duty to keep in a resolute and unwavering manner. Come on, may it doesn't matter. You know what? For us, if we were the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul would be telling us, "Hey, listen. You need to be resolute. You need to you need to understand. This is a duty that is a privilege. It's an honor that we can enter. We get to enter into the throne room of gra uh, grace, right, and find mercy and help in time of need. You get to come in. We get to do that." We ought to see it as something like that. Unwavering, resolute, being purposeful, clear, persistent. And, and this is what the this is how the Apostle Paul is describing it. 
prayer that's intense. Passion. There should be, in other words, there should be, <clears throat> folks, let's wake up, right? I didn't want to do it right there. But sometimes our prayers are just like, oh, Lord, you know, we're here. And it's like, man, I wake up from a good nap. It's like, whoo. No, because it's so, so monotone and so just like lacks passion. Our prayer should be filled with pa- passion. It should be intense. It should be a work of labor. A work of labor. That, that, that takes some effort. But listen, these, this prayer, the Apostle Paul is encouraging, encouraging them to be thoughtful should be clear, should be vigilant. In other words, we think about what we're praying. We're just not kind of just saying the same prayer over and over again. Remember, we're talking to the one true living God. He is listening. He desires to hear from us. But can you imagine if you walked up to your friends and you had the same thing to tell them every time? You're like, that's odd. Right? You told me that yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Like maybe there's something wrong with you, right? We wouldn't do that with each other. Why why do we do that with the Lord? As if just repeating the same prayer and over and over again is something that should be that's something worth something and 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 it's and it's not so we need to think about what we're praying who we're praying to what 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 are we asking for are we singing his praises are we worshiping him in prayer we should we should be adoring him think about those things it's not just lord i have a list of things that i need at this moment and i want you to answer all of these things no we ought to be seeking him and asking him to to inspect our hearts to reveal anything that is not of him and then repent of those things, asking him for forgiveness, and then moving on from that. Thanking him for even inclining his ear to us. And then perhaps interceding on behalf of others. That'd be good in prayer. And then perhaps petitioning him for some personal needs. But in prayer, there should be life in it. There should be life. Is it come to the Lord, the one true living God? You have gone through the veil that's been torn, Jesus Christ, and now you're in the very presence of the Lord. Think about that. Think about, think about uh, a situation when, where you are in the presence of a king. Well, you are. We are. H- how then would we act? How would we respond to being in the very presence of the king, the Lord of lords? Would there be a little excitement? The opposite of this would be indifference. Lack of enthusiasm, enthusiasm um, or a lack of concern. Just, yeah, whether I go or not, it's fine. Yeah, you're the king. Imagine that. And so the Apostle Paul is telling them that this was the manner in which they ought to conduct themselves as a church that is living for the glory of God. Be strong in prayer. 
Number one, be watchful in it. Don't fall asleep while you're praying like I have. I'll confess, I'm serious. I, I have, and I'm, I'm sorry to confess this. I know I, I couldn't say it without saying I've, I've done it because my wife knows. Don't, don't, um, your time of prayer is dangerous in the bed when you're tired and you're ready to go to sleep. Now, how many of you, am I the only one that's fallen asleep in prayer? Okay, all right, okay, all right, thank you. I feel better. Let's move on then. But be watchful in it. So um, we have examples of others falling asleep in prayer. So um, don't fall asleep to prayer. You get to a point to where you're just not praying. You're asleep. You're, you're slumbering. You're lazy. Don't do that. When you're praying, think about what you're praying and pray what you're thinking. Think about it. Like the conversation with the Lord. Think about these things. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and he also demonstrated a life that was given to prayer. Not only taught them, but he also demonstrated over and over. We see in Scripture how it was that he went to the Lord in prayer, went to the Father. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you think about that prayer, pray then like this. If you were to take our Father, we're not going to break it down in detail, but if you were to just think about who it is that you're praying to, our, our, our Father in heaven, in heaven, that's, that's already starting out with the right perspective. I just, just thinking about that for a while would put things in proper perspective. How long would it take for you to, to take all the distractions, put them away, and be all there in prayer if you started out by just considering who you're praying to? And then when you get done with that, hallowed be your name. That's right. You're holy. You're righteous. And I'm not. What would that do to our, our prayer life? It, it's coming and considering who we're praying to, that he's holy and righteous, and yet he considers me. Who am I, God, that you would consider me? Who am I that you would incline your ear to me? You desire to hear from me? So pray then like this. In Luke 5.16, Jesus and just one, one of the verses that points to this, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There are not very many desolate places today, at least not in Southern California, to go to and pray. But there can be a desolate place, perhaps at 4 o'clock in the morning, in your living room, or 4.30, 5 o'clock, whatever it is for you. Maybe after dinner to go. Lunchtime in your office. Whatever it is, retreat often to that place and spend time on your knees. Because Jesus demonstrated a prayer life that the Apostle Paul was telling the Colossians to possess. A prayer life that is watchful, awake, and with full awareness. Not like Peter, James, John in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus asked them to watch and pray with him, 
but instead fell asleep because they were tired. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? Oh, we need to ask the Lord for a, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him to help us to, to be awake and aware. Be vigilant in our prayer. If we need to, let's stand to our feet and pray. By the way, Jesus knew they were tired. And he still asked them to pray, to watch with him as he prayed. So keep that in mind. I'm tired, the Lord knows. Well, the Lord knew that Peter, James, and John were tired also, but he also asked them to pray. So we ought to pray. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So acknowledge that and do something about it. Number two, pray with thanksgiving. Being thankful means that you are acknowledging the things God has done, is doing, and the things that he's going to do. And you know he's going to do them. This expresses faith. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Number three, pray for opportunity to declare the gospel. As the Apostle Paul asked them, Hey, um, by the way, as you're praying, please pray for me. I'll pray for you, Paul. What do you want me to pray for you about? Oh, that you would be released from prison, perhaps? Or No, no, that I may have opportunity to preach the gospel that much more and to preach it with clarity. Can you pray for that? Oh, yeah, pray for that. Here was a man who was in chains in prison. And the one thing he desired above all is that they would pray for him that he would get more opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ. And that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Through him alone. Would you pray for me that I would have clarity? That I would meet people just where they're at? Would you pray for me about that? You would think that someone as knowledgeable as Paul would be confident in his preaching of the word. And yet his concern and request for prayer has nothing to do with his understanding of the word and salvation and has everything to do with others' understanding of what he already knows and believes. He knows. For many of us, we, we already know. Can you help me have other people understand what I've come to know, Lord? Can, can we all pray for each other that Perhaps we would be given that wisdom, that discernment, the right words to share with others that they too would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we always pray for God to give us the right words to speak in order that others may understand and come to salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is strength in prayer. Number one, be watchful in it. Number two, be thankful in it. And number three, ask for opportunity and clarity of words to tell others of Jesus Christ, regardless of the difficulties of your circumstances, because we need to consider the fact that the Apostle Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter. And this is what he was writing to them. So number one, be strong in prayer. Number two, live and speak with heaven in mind. Verse five says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You will not live in this manner 
if you don't have God in mind. You will not live in this manner if you do not have God in mind. D.L. Moody said this, quote, If we read the word and do not pray, we may become puffed up with knowledge without the love that buildeth up. If we pray without reading the word, we shall be ignorant of the mind and will of God and become mystical and fanatical and liable to be blown about by every wind of doctrine, close quote. So in other words, we need to read the word and then pray, pray and then read the word some more and then pray and then just keep doing that's what we ought to do because we come to the Lord with complete understanding and knowledge of what it is that pleases him. His will is found in the word of God. Paul was specifically addressing living in this manner toward outsiders with full knowledge and understanding. Why? Well, we are to live lives that are full of spiritual integrity. Living lives of spiritual integrity will supply you with opportunities to tell others about Jesus Christ. Never does compromise put you in a good position to witness to others. It, it just it doesn't work that way. So praying, as we learned about, needs to be accompanied with application. Praying with application, there, there, there's this power that's in that combination. You pray, you apply. As you apply and live with spiritual integrity, you, you have these opportunities for other people. And if you're praying for opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ, uh, but then fail to speak, much less speak with clarity, this mystery of Christ, which is salvation, then what is good to pray for opportunities if you aren't even aware of these divine appointments? You pray for them, and you don't even discern them when they're before you. You know what I mean? Or we pass them by, or we ignore them. Let's be confident and bold when we are uh, faced with these opportunities to share the gospel with others, that we take full advantage of those moments. And then when we do speak, how do we speak? What, what do I say? I don't know what to say. Well, don't worry about what you're going to say at the moment. Pray for discernment and pray for godly wisdom that he may give you the words to speak in that moment. By the way, I don't know. There's this, this manner in which some people approach others. Here's, a, here's an approach that I believe I've seen in the Bible used with the Pharisees, Sadducees, the uh, scribes, and those types in the, in the Bible. But not with the Gentile unbelievers, the pagans of the world. You stand condemned. You're going to hell. And uh, woe is you. Right? It's like, man, I was waiting for someone to tell me that. I want to know more. Telling others that they are condemned and going to hell, that's just... That could be like a, a, a little statement of shock and awe, right? But it's not something that will win people over. you got to explain them. Well, what is it that draws us to God? 
Is it condemnation or is it love? Is it words of judgment or the understanding of his kindness? What draws us to the Lord? His kindness. His kindness draws us unto the Lord. Then we understand that we stand condemned in our sin. We are we are guilty. Personal evangelism is important, but we need to understand how to talk with others. Number one, be gracious is what we see here. This is the, this is the how. Be gracious. Consider the person and know that they don't know. Please know that they don't know. Don't expect them to know what they don't know because they don't know it. Sometimes we think like, like as if, hey, you know what? I know, so therefore you should know, and so I'm going to talk to you as if you know. No, they don't know. They don't know. I sure am glad that my friend did not talk to me as if I already knew. He, just, he was very patient with me, just explained some things about the Lord. He explained the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he was patient enough to field questions uh, from me for a, a long time, for a while. So don't expect them to be someone and know the things of God when they aren't and they don't. So number one, be, so be gracious, meet them where they're at. Number two, um, we ought to use words seasoned with salt. Salt makes one, well, peanuts with salt. They make you real thirsty and then they make you... Buy a drink that's, if you go to the ball game, I mean, the coasts are what, like 12 bucks for a drink, right? I don't know what it is. Is it 10 bucks? It's too much, whatever it is. But salt makes one thirsty. It also does something else. Um, I know my wife gets on me all the time because there's the food and I haven't even tasted it and I want to put salt over it. Any of you like that? Yeah? Yeah? Couple, all right. The rest won't admit it. Okay. Yeah, it enhances the flavor. It's like, wow, this is makes it even better. So it enhances the flavor, and it preserves. Remember that the gospel gives life, but the letter kills. It matters how we tell others that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. It matters how we tell them that. It matters. Do your words provoke a thirst for the things of God? Do your words cause other people to desire more? Are your words filled with godly wisdom and led by the Spirit? The only way you will be mindful of living and speaking with heaven in mind is if you are in God's Word daily. If you meditate on God's Word in prayer and throughout the day. And if you subject yourself to others who are doing the same. In other words... We're coming together. We're stirring each other up. We're encouraging one another in fellowship. It's important. Why? Because there's accountability in fellowship. And it's encouraging your spiritual growth and maturity. And to grow in your desire for the things of the Lord. I am encouraged by you. As we come together and and I hear um, different questions, different conversations that I get into... I'm encouraged by the fellowship of, of the brethren. I, I love to come and be stirred up to love and good works. I love that. To come together and worship the Lord corporately. To pray for one another. Isn't it interesting and something worth thinking about? That God is concerned about both prayer life 
as he is about our public life, the one will reflect in the other. So he's referring to our prayer life, and now we see our public life and how it is that we are to conduct ourselves there. So number one, be strong in prayer. Number two, live and speak with heaven in mind. And number three, here we see companions worth mentioning. We'll go through the list here. First of all, we'll, we'll start off with Tychicus in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so here is this fellow servant with Paul who was sent with the letter we've just read and studied to the church in Colossae. Tychicus had traveled with Paul as his companion through Asia and into Jerusalem, delivering the financial help that was needed by them. And in a time of need, uh, the apostle Paul and Tychicus was with them, went to Jerusalem, carrying uh, some of the, the finances that they had gathered together by the various churches to come into Jerusalem and present it to them. Tychicus was right by his side. Tychicus had also been sent to deliver Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's covered in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22, and that's where it's mentioned. So here he is going to Colossae, but he was also sent to uh, Ephesus to deliver that letter. Tychicus was entrusted to deliver an accurate account of Paul's life and encourage them with the things the Lord is doing. I, I send the Apostle Paul sending Tychicus to go to Colossae. I, I want you to reflect and tell everyone what's going on with me and what's, what's been happening. Tychicus was regarded as a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a faithful servant of the Lord. Faithful, faithful, beloved, and a fellow, fellow servant. We also have with him Onesimus. Uh, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. It's like, if you want to test whether someone is genuine or not, have others give testimony of your life to another group. You know, because you can say all you want about yourself. But when you say... Hey, these two fellows, they're coming to you. They're going to tell you all about, perhaps, you know, the letter that I wrote. Um, hopefully it reflects in my life. Not too sure. Um, but, uh, but I'm going to send them to you. No, he was sending them with full confidence, knowing that, listen, what I'm writing to you is the truth. And we ought to live by it. And we're doing that. And here are some, some two, Tychicus and Onesimus. Oh, these are beloved brothers, fellow servants of the Lord. He, they're faithful ministers. And, and they're, they're coming to you. Anesimus, no. Uh, he, was, um, he was a slave owned by a Christian in Colossae by the name of Philemon. Perhaps you have read through the one chapter, the, the, the small short letter of the Apostle Paul to Philemon. Because he, his was the name of Onesimus's master. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 8, it says, accordingly, and this is how we know a little bit about Onesimus. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I came 
whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by my uh, not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted uh, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So he's describing, he's saying, this is who you have now. He's going back to you. This is who we He's who he's mentioning in the final portion of this letter to the Colossians. This is Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother to whom I became a father in in the Lord to. This is him. He's with me and I'm I'm sending him to you. Well, Aristarchus, he sends his greetings, a fellow companion in prison, a man who never ran away from uh, from troubling times. Difficult moments. In verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Well, this is the, the gentleman and brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul, who was with him in Ephesus when the mob came against him. Uh, he was also there when the Apostle Paul set sail for Rome. And now we find him, a fellow prisoner of the Apostle Paul. The value of a brother who sticks with you through all times is a brother who is a source of great encouragement and whose value is beyond measure. Come what may, you stick together. It doesn't matter. I'll be with you. If there's a, a fight that's brewing, I'm in it. I'm, I, got, I got your back. I got you. He's just there, always. Oh, that type of brother, no. Beyond measure, there are so few. There are so few. Most people run. They just run. We need more of the type of characters like Aristarchus. Well, Mark, how about let's mention Mark, because Mark also greets them. He's the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark, Mark, is that John Mark? Is that the one who had deserted them? Yep, that's the one. Well, Paul had settled their differences. They had restored their relationship. They had been reconciled to each other. The division was was no longer there. And now he is someone who is of benefit to the Apostle Paul. And he sends his greeting as well. How wonderful it is when the brethren dwell in unity. When there's reconciliation and restoration, you know what that does is it glorifies the Lord. We ought to be quick to do that and not try and make every attempt to justify why it is that we want to remain right where we're at. Well, the Lord says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Why? Because we remain in our sin. Remain in our sin. Justice. Although nothing more than his name is mentioned, apparently he was a companion worth mentioning. That is itself of great meaning for a man like Paul to do. He's, he's here with me. 
just to mention. It'd be nice just to be mentioned in, in the same lineup of men who we would consider to be faithful. Faithful servants of the Lord. You can pick your list and find it an honor just to be mentioned. Oh, I know they've done so much and, and how wonderful it is to hear of, of the encouragement that they've that they have just through their lives. Uh, Mueller. Uh, we have D.L. Moody. We have Spurgeon. And then we have Richard. Right? How would you feel? It's just a mention. Oh, we know the others. Oh, who's Richard? Being mentioned, just mentioned is wonderful. It's a word of encouragement. Who, who is anyone? I can tell you that if, if C.H. Spurgeon were, were able to talk today, nothing. D.L. Moody, nothing. George Mueller, nothing. I, I know of someone. These are all the, the names that were mentioned there, as far as Aristarchus, Mark, and uh, Justice, who were all fellow uh, Jews, um, and they were fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Paul wanted to make it known that they have provided a great comfort to him. And the question for us is, are you a great comfort to your fellow brethren? If so, the question for us to answer is, how? How are we a great comfort to each other? How are we a great source of encouragement to one another? Because really, the word of God has to, well, it, it should cause us to go in in the direction of application. It's not just a head knowledge. Oh, that's all really good. That's a word, great word of encouragement. But we should walk out thinking, how is it that we are reflecting this truth in our lives? How is it that I'm being a comfort, a source of encouragement for others around me? And then we have Epaphras. He's a great example of a man who served God and was diligent in praying for the Colossians. It says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So this is what he prayed for. Number one, that they would stand mature. And number two, being fully assured in the will of God. Immaturity is to be carnal, worldly-minded, entangled in the things of the world or civilian affairs, indifferent towards spiritual matters, worried, anxious, fearful. Those are all things of the flesh. And so he'd pray that they would stand mature in Christ. Mature in Christ is to know sound doctrine, trust in God, walk in godly wisdom, live by faith in God and with the hope of heaven. Fully assured of the things that lie before us, knowing that the days in which we live in are difficult, and yet we find great joy in knowing the one that has forgiven us. Epaphras knew that they needed to be confident in the will of the Lord. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Epaphras was diligent and consistent in his prayer for the Colossians, as well as the brothers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So this whole area, you go from Colossae and you go north and you hit Hierapolis and Laodicea, just north-northwest of there. Just travel north. 
that whole area. He was praying for all the brethren there. And Paul wanted to encourage them by letting them know that someone was praying for them in this manner. And he was laboring. He was working on their behalf. He was truly standing in the gap. Luke, he mentioned here, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So Luke, we know he is the writer of the gospel of Luke. And what other book? The book of Acts. The book of Acts as well. Well, he's there with the Apostle Paul. He's there, and Demas is mentioned to be with him and sent his, sends his greetings as well. Greetings to Laodicea, Nympha, and the church in her house is what we read here. Give greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And, with the, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So there are a lot of churches meeting in homes. Uh, gatherings in homes, and so this woman had this this Bible study in her own home. There was this letter that was to be read, and there was also another letter that perhaps it is believed that it was the letter to the Ephesians. It was supposed to be a, a letter that was rotated. It was sent from one church to another and continued on. So they were to read this. In all the different churches. And then Archippus, verse 17. And say to Archippus, and this one's in quote, so I want you to say this very thing to Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Close quote. And you kind of wonder, the Apostle Paul kind of singled this man out. I want you, and, and these are my words, so I, I want you to read him these words, and I want you to encourage him with these words. This is what I want you to tell him. Ar- Archippus in Philemon 1-2 is mentioned, and, and you, Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. And so it, it's possible that he's the son of Philemon, but regardless, Paul highly regarded him as a fellow servant. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's exhorting him, he's admonishing him, he's encouraging him in this manner. Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. But saying that you're going to pray about it when you've already (laughs) prayed about it, and you just want to delay your service to the Lord. Archippus, hey, listen, it... You need to follow through. You need to keep going. The word of God encourages us to do this very thing, to stir each other up in love and good works. Paul personally signed the letter and postscript and asked that they remember his chains, to pray for what he asked and desired. They could chain Paul, but they couldn't chain the gospel. He said, grace be with you. Oh, that grace would be with us, that we would acknowledge that and know that without God's grace, we could do nothing that's worth anything that would be of no value. Things of the flesh, things of the spirit, that's God's grace. May we acknowledge that. So number one, be strong in prayer. Number two, live and speak with heaven in mind. And number three, let us be companions worth mentioning. To be companions worth mentioning in such company. As the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and 
based on Mark. Men like Luke, Archippus, Onesimus. We must be strong in prayer. We must live and speak with heaven in mind. D.L. Moody, and I'll close with this quote, said this, quote, When the church, the pulpit, and the pew get united, when God's people are all of one mind, Christianity is like a red-hot ball rolling over the earth, and all the hosts of heaven, or of death, I'm sorry, and hell, cannot stand before it, close quote. Nothing can stand before it. We're all united, coming together. There's nothing that can stand in our way. For the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Father, we thank you. Lord, for the word of encouragement, Lord, as these final words were spoken, were read to the church in Colossae, so they are read today to the church at refuge. I pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear what you would have to speak to us, that that we would have hearts to understand and that you would, Lord, move us to do that which you expect us to do according to your word, that we may glorify you, continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us, Lord, we pray, clarity and opportunity that others may come to know Jesus as we know him. that they too may surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and by losing their lives would would gain it eternally in you, knowing a new life, a resurrected life in Jesus Christ, having the hope of heaven. Father, help us also to be a house of prayer. This would be a church that is constantly on our knees looking to you to do and to move in our lives in the things that we desire to do to your glory and for your glory. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.